You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. John 2.0, but now we're looking at 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, and we've been going with the past few weeks and months talking about heaven, and we've looked at several details pertaining to heaven, what heaven's going to be like, what we can expect in heaven, what some of the sights and some of the sounds and some of these different things that we can expect in heaven. And so today I want us to close out this series. Now the next series, I'm not sure if we're going to go back to Acts. Or, or, or if we're going to look at the, at the seven churches of Revelation, I, I'm kind of caught between what the Spirit's doing, and I'm not really sure. We're going to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit and see what God may be doing. Um, but uh, today we want to finish out this series on heaven, and we want to ask everyone if you will turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. And uh, this is, this is one, the first of his three letters in the back of the Bible. I was telling the deacons, and deacons meeting this past Thursday, I had a pastor one time before who told us to turn to John chapter 3. And uh, he failed to mention that it was 1 John chapter 3. So we were in the Gospel of John looking around thinking, well, this doesn't match what he's reading. We didn't know what exactly was going on there. But we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. And we encourage everyone who can and is able to please stand as we pay honor to the reading and hearing of God's precious holy word. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. Actually, let's back this up to verse 12. John says, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us, for God is love. 
And he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. You know that? There's no fear in God's love. Aren't you glad of that? That we don't have to worry about tomorrow because we have God's love. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a what? What did he say? What was that? A liar. Let me read that again. I didn't say that. John said that. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have, have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, all of this comes together in verse 13. This is the capstone of the passage of Scripture that we've just read. And I want you to pay close attention to what John says in this verse. These things, talking about the things that he's already written, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may what? Say it louder. Did he say guess? Did he say, you could guess you could have eternal life? He said what? Say it again with me, church. Know that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Dear kind of gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and what it means to us. We ask, Lord, this morning that you would allow me just to simply speak the words that you would have for us and hold back any words that don't need to be spoken. And Lord, we just ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, open our ears that we might hear, and open our hearts that will apply these truths and be better for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I debated on whether to give this little story, but I think I'm going to. Up around our area, and in fact, we have some relatives that are, you may have heard of this, 
called Primitive Baptists. Anyone ever heard of that? Anyone? Now, Primitive Baptists, if you ever go to a Primitive Baptist church, I hope you have patience. Because I'm saying this from experience. Because they don't have any music. They don't have the accompaniment. They don't have songs. And when they sing, like say, Amazing Grace, the, 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 the leader of the music would say, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. And then everybody would sing, Amazing Grace. It takes ten minutes to get through one lyric. <laughs> it may not take that much, but it seems like it does. But the thing about the Primitive Baptist movement, they're great people, and don't, don't take me wrong because I've got family members and I'm not trying to bash Primitive Baptists this morning because they're wonderful people. But I have one problem with Primitive Baptists. My dad came across a, a guy we've known for years who was a Primitive Baptist, and, and his wife died. And, and dad says, well, at least we know she's in a better place. And this guy says, well, you don't know that. I don't know that. You see, with primitive Baptists, they place so much emphasis on the elect that they say, we really don't know who's saved and who's not saved, so we just guess. We just guess who, who is saved and who's not. That would drive me mad. Anyone else? To, to think that I have no clue as to whether or not I'm going to heaven. When I face death, I would have no assurance whatsoever. I didn't know whether I'd be going up or down or caught in limbo or something like that. I didn't, with no heads from tails. But praise God, we find in Scripture, sometimes we just need to remove denominationalism, amen, and get to what the Bible says. Don't get me wrong, I'm a Southern Baptist. I, and I was born a Southern Baptist and... Uh, <laughs> What was it somebody said one time? I was Southern Baptist bred, and when I die, I'll be Southern Baptist dead. You know, someone said that one time before. But I think sometimes we just need to take the broom and sweep away denominationalism a little bit and take a look at what the Bible says. Amen? Because I think denominations are quite honestly man-made, and I think sometimes they get in the way. Anybody else think that? I think sometimes they get, amen, Steve? I think sometimes they get in the way. We need to focus on what the Bible tells us. And going back to verse 13, he says that you may, he didn't say that you guess if you have eternal life. He says you can know that you have eternal life. Praise God, amen? Aren't you glad that you can know that you can have eternal life? It kind of reminds we have a confidence when we face uncertain days. We're kind of like this woman. And you've probably heard this before. Noah Dennis Shaw, he's probably told this in this pulpit before. But uh, there's a story of this woman. And uh, she came home one Wednesday night from prayer meeting. And she uh, came in and she noticed that there was a burglar in her home. And she said, stop, Acts 2.38. Acts 2.38. And Acts 2.38 says, repent and turn from your sins, is what Acts 2.38 says. Well, this burglar stopped, and he was like this. He didn't move a muscle. And she just went over and picked up the phone and called the police. Caleb may have come on the scene on that. I don't know. <laughs> Dialed 911, called, called the police. The police came. And as, they, as the police officer said, they cuffed him and stuffed him. Amen? I've, I've heard that they cuffed him and stuffed him. But one of the officers said, Guy, what's wrong with you? He said, uh, this woman just yelled out a scripture verse and you stopped in your tracks and you didn't move a muscle. He said, a scripture verse? I thought she said she had an axe and two thirty-eights. I thought that's what she said. Well, just like that woman had confidence to yell out a scripture and that man stopped 
in his tracks, thinking she had an axe and two thirty-eights. He stopped in his tracks. This woman had confidence and praise the Lord, we too can have confidence. It reminds me of a former pastor I, I had one time before who said, we can know that we know that we know that we are born again. Well, what gives us this assurance? What gives us the surety of our salvation? Well, I think the Apostle John, writing this late in life, writing this to the church in Ephesus, a church that he had been pastoring for many years, he's writing this at the twilight of his life as he knows that he's getting ready to meet the Lord, the very Savior that he served. He gives three sureties, three assurances of one's salvation that one can look over their life and see whether or not they have these markers in their life. And if you have these markers in your life, that's God's seal in your life letting you know that you have been born again. And if you've been born again, guess what? You're going to heaven. So that means when the time of life comes and your soul is required of you, you don't have to keep guessing whether or not you're in the, you're in the family of God that you can know if you are born again or not. And there are three things we see, and John, in fact, gives us several other things, but the first thing we find is the surety of God's compassion. In chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, John emphasizes the importance of God's love in three different ways. First and foremost, John emphasizes the importance of God's love as a divine attribute. That God is love. Aren't you glad of that? God is perfect love. Now, he didn't say that love is God. Because let's just be honest about this thing. There are a lot of things that we pass off as love that aren't true, genuine love. Amen? You're not going to find love on the click of a mouse and on the image on a computer screen. Amen? You're not going to find love in a one-night stand. Amen? You're not going to find love going out on Liberty Street, finding some person walking down the street thinking that's love. Is that genuine love? Everybody went silent. (laughs) Is that genuine love? Absolutely not. God is love. What does that mean? The word used used here is agape love. It's unconditional love. It's a love of choice. It's not a love based on emotion. If God based His love on us on emotion, then we would have no assurance. Because the first moment we did something stupid, God would say, I don't know if I love that person or not. What in the world was I thinking? Now, Frances is looking at me. I don't know what's going through her mind right now. But but I can just imagine God looks over my life and sees this person, man, goodness, what is he doing? What is Brian Chilton doing here? What in the world was I thinking trying to offer him salvation? But thankfully, that love is not based on emotion, it's based on choice. That God has made the choice from eternity past that He was going to love you. He knows you by name, He knows how many hairs are on your head, and mine's getting thinner and thinner all the time. I had to put this moose on it just to see, I have this one cowlick that sits up like this, looks like I got a bullhorn. I got to use moose to try to get that thing to stay down anymore. He knows how many hairs are on our heads. He knows how many days we have left on this earth. He knows everything about us and still loves us with an everlasting love. And friend, that's a lot of love. Amen? Secondly, we see that um, John notes that God's love leads the believer to knowledge of God and belief in Him. 
We, we see that this love comes about, that, that He abides in us, we abide in Him, and because of this love, we can testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior in the world of the world because of God's revelation to us. So we see already that God is love, that He is perfect love, He is genuine love, and He loved you and He loved me so much that He was willing to send His love to you and send His love to me. God sent His love. You see, you see a lot, every other worldview, every other world religion has it where, uh, where people work their way to God. But aren't you glad to know that Christianity shows us how God pursues us in love? He is actively pursuing you. He is actively pursuing every lost person. I really believe this. On planet Earth, He is pursuing that person so that if someone rejects Christ unto death, they're not going to have an excuse. God is going to make a way for people to have sufficient information to be able to make a choice. Now, how God does that, I don't know. But God pursues us. He pursues us. God is the great lover, and we are the beloved, and that spirit of love is given to us through His Holy Spirit. And for those of us who have received that gift of of love it makes a transformation within our life how many of you today are thankful that God loves you how many of you are just so grateful and thankful that God loves you with an everlasting love no matter what's happened in the past praise God God loves you anyhow amen no matter what's happened No matter what's taking place, God's love for you is not going to change because it's not based upon what you can do for Him. It's based on His compassion towards you. Amen? And there's nothing you can do to change that. Well, except rejecting Christ into death. I mean, but but why would we even do that? It takes more effort to go to hell than it does to heaven. Amen? Because that means to go to hell, you would have had to reject the Spirit of God all your life and all the ways He's trying to reach you and be absolutely hard-hearted saying, No, sir, I'm not going to budge. This is where I am. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. Not listening. We have to live our lives all the way into death for that to happen. Now, some people do that, and that's unfortunate. But for those of us who've received this gift of salvation, we realize that we are, we are blessed people, that it's by God's grace that we are saved, and it makes a transformation within us. There's no fear in love. Because when you understand that God loves you with an everlasting love, God's not standing over you like a tyrant, just waiting for you to make a mistake to zap you with lightning. Aren't you glad of that? All of us would be French fried by this time if that were the case. Amen? Now, I about was French fried because I kept neglecting the call of God upon my life. And I'll only make that mistake one time. (laughs) But uh, if God was standing over us trying to zap us, we would all be French fries by this time. But God is not a tyrant. God is a lover. He loves you with an everlasting love. And so there's no fear in this love. And this love within us makes a transformation within us. And if we are grateful for the love and compassion that God has towards us... You know what that's going to do? It's going to incline our hearts to love each other. Amen? Jesus says, and we're going to come back to this in a few moments. Jesus says that by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. If we were to be held up in a court of law, 
And I've mentioned this before. Pam and I have talked about this before. If we were we held up in a court of law and we were gauged just simply by the love that we have for other people, would there be enough evidence to convict us as being Christians? Something I deal with every day. Something I think about every day. Do I have enough love in my life towards other people? You know, I've, I've had a chance to, to officiate the weddings of many people. Whenever I was first in the ministry, I didn't have many regulations, didn't have many things I required for couples. And, I, and, I, and couples came in and, and couples uh, officiated their weddings. And some of those couples have made it and some of them haven't. But advice I give every couple before I officiate any wedding. Anymore, I want, I want any couple... And some people have refused to do this, and it's fine. And that's fine. I have, I have no grudges towards it. But I require every couple now that I marry to go through a counseling book, a premarital counseling book, filling out information in that premarital counseling book. They are required to do that before I will officiate the wedding. If they don't do it, I don't do it. I don't do the wedding, just simply put. But every couple I've told here lately, I finally got wise to this, and I told every couple that if you don't have God in your life, you're not going to make it. Because if you don't know God, you don't know what true love is. You're not going to be able to love your spouse the way he or she deserves to be loved if you don't have God in your life because the only way we can know truly how to love is if we have God in our lives. And I want to tell you, beloved, if you have God in your life and that love is there, that love is going to be present. And it's going to be the, such, a, such a situation that you don't have to even ask a person if they're saved. You should see that love oozing out of a person. You know how it is if you eat a real greasy pizza? I know it's this way with me. I eat a real greasy pizza. Man, I have that stuff coming out of my pores. Anybody else that way? Don't tell me I'm the only one here. I'm getting a complex. But I eat something really greasy, man. You can, I can smell it on myself for the next day or so. It's coming out of my pores, all that grease. It's coming out of my pores. I know I've heard some people go, oh, man. I mean, come on, let's be honest here. But God's love is the same way. If you have God in your life, that love is going to pour out of your, of your soul, out of your being, amen? Because God is love. And John says, I didn't say this. And it's so important that we get this thing down that it, it is impossible for us to say that we love God whom we have not seen and hate our brother who we have seen. We've got to get this right, folks, because we have a world watching us as a church. And every single day, we as a church, we fail at this. And I believe that God is going to hold us accountable for this. Amen? I mean this, folks. If you go out of this room, you go out of this sanctuary, and you tell people, oh, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, and you treat everybody you come across with hatred and with spite, then they are not going to believe you. And in fact, Jesus won't believe you because the love of God's not in us. Now, I'm speaking strongly this morning about this because we are failing as a church in America. And maybe that's the reason why God is putting us in the situation that He is. Because the Bible says that He chastises His own. He disciplines His own, bringing them up in the way they need to be. So secondly, the surety not only of God's compassion, but the surety of God's commandments. Let me just simply run through this real quickly. First thing we see that John describes God's commands as those not being burdensome in verse 3. They're not burdensome because God will always fulfill His promises. God on His side of the equation, He's always going to come through. You know why? One thing, God doesn't change. Aren't you glad of that? 
Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And aren't you glad to know that the Bible tells us that God says that through the prophet Malachi, I, the Lord, have not changed. You descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. My promises will not change. And in Titus 1-2, the Bible tells us that God cannot lie. It's not that God chooses not to lie. It's that God cannot lie because God is truth. So if God says He's going to save you, and you've received that new covenant into your life, guess what? Nobody can take away your salvation from you. If God says you're saved, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about you. If God says you're saved, guess what? You're saved. Amen? There's no Supreme Court judge that can overrule God's edict. Aren't you glad of that? There's no, there's no side court somewhere that can overrule something that God says to be so. Because if God says you're saved, praise God, you're saved. And that does not change because God does not change. Number two, John notes that a person who loves God will desire to serve Him, not out of obligation, but out of desire. You see, the thing is, a lot of times, I'm going to be honest, and I'm this way. Sometimes we as people, we're like water and electricity. You know what water and electricity do? They seek the, seek the path of least resistance. <laughs> We only do what we think we have to do. And if, if we've done what we have to do, okay, I'm done. That's, that's all I need to do. But you know, when we experience the grace of God in our lives, we don't serve God because we have to. We don't serve God. We, don't, we shouldn't come to church. Man, my wife drug me to church today. That's the only reason I'm here, you know. She drug me to church, you know. And here I am, preacher. Don't call me now. Tell me you're missing me because, you know, I'm here. <laughs> Some people, some people come to church, well, if I don't, you know, people are going to be asking where I am. People are going to be talking about me. We should get, we come to church, we, we should not come to church because we feel that we have to come to church. We should come to church and serve the Lord because we feel the grace of God in our lives and know just how much God loves us. And not because we have to, but because we want to, because of the grace of God in our lives and for what He's done for us. God's promises do not change because He does not change. And if God says that we're saved, we're saved. And, th and by this salvation, we should not feel obligated to, to obey God. We should desire to serve God out of our love and our compassion towards Him. And last but certainly not least, we have the surety of God's confirmation. Do you know that God does certain things in our lives to let us know, to confirm that we're saved? And in fact, we see three things in this biblical text today. We see the blood, we see the Spirit, and we see water. These are three signs that we're saved. The confirmation of blood is the work that Christ has done on the cross. The atoning work of Christ on the cross fulfills the necessary requirements that allow you to be saved. We don't have to come and bring lambs and goats and lay our hands on those lambs and goats you know, uh, asking God to forgive our sins for, for one time a year. Christ has done everything sufficient for your salvation. That means that when you trust in Christ, the blood of His covenant has applied to your life, and that means that by the grace of God, the standards that He has set up, that you are saved because of the blood of Christ, which was given freely for you. Secondly, we have the confirmation of the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. 
The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is in a person's life, and that is the presence of God in our lives. And if, and if you, how many of you know that the Spirit of God is in your life because if you do something wrong, you have that gnawing in your heart? You know God is gnawing at your heart, wanting to let you know that you need to fix things. If you have that going on in your life, chances are that's the Holy Spirit. And guess what? If you have the Holy Spirit of God, that's God's seal of redemption in your life. That means if you have the Holy Spirit, praise God, you're saved. Amen? It's weak on me now. Amen? If you have the Holy Spirit of God, that's a confirmation that you have been saved. And thirdly, the confirmation of our identification with Christ through baptism. Baptism doesn't save us. But what baptism does is it identifies us with the baptism of Christ. And it identifies us with the people of God, the church of God. So as we go under the water, we're identifying with Christ's death. As we come out of the water, we identify with His resurrection and the new life that we have in Him. So by the confession of our mouth and the belief in our hearts that God has raised Christ from the dead, we can know that we're saved. Because the atoning work of Christ on the cross given freely for you, because the uh, work of the Holy Spirit in your life that has come and associated and abides with you, that word abides, you know what that word, word abide means? It means that He comes and takes nest with you. He comes and He lives within you. He lives within your heart and you live within Him. That there's this intimate connection that happens between God and our own lives. And because of the identification we have through baptism, all of these things confirm for us that we are saved, that we have been born again. Let me close with this. A young man who had been raised as an atheist was training to be an Olympic diver. The only religious influence in his life came from his outspoken Christian friend. The young diver really never paid much attention to his friend's sermons, but he heard them often. One night, the diver went late night into a pool. The lights weren't on in this, in this pool house. But he had enough light coming from, from the light of the moon in this place and from the side streets to see at least how to, to climb up on the diving board. And he was so good at swimming, he was like a fish in water. Once he got in water, he could find his way around. So he climbed up, you know, this, this had been gnawing in his heart and life that he needed Christ. And he'd been, he'd been battling this for some time. And as he got to the top of, this, of, the, uh, of this, the highest diving board in the, in the place, he stood up and had his arms out as he was about to dive backwards and looked as the moon was shining down at an angle and he saw his own body in the shape of a cross. God started dealing with his heart and his life that he knelt down there on that diving board and received Christ as his Lord and Savior. But you see, God had saved him in more than one way that evening. Not only had he saved his soul, he saved him in another way because after he got up and stood up, got ready to dive once again, a maintenance man came in there at that moment in time and turned on the light to show that the pool had been drained. If he had jumped off that diving board, he would have dove to his own death. Can you imagine what would have happened if he, if he took that leap without receiving Christ? Well, we know the end story there, wouldn't we not? that for those not in Christ, there's another place awaiting them, a place of torment. But beloved, understand this. God is love. And He pursues us with His loving compassion. Does God have wrath? Does God have justice? Yeah, of course, but that wrath and justice is actually rooted in the love of God. 
I want to tell you here today, beloved, that if you're here and you've never received Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, why don't you come and receive Him? Because for all we know, you may be standing on that high diving board. You may not have another opportunity to make things right with Christ. But for those of us who are in Christ, for those of us who have received salvation, let us take comfort. We have some challenges ahead of us, no doubt. But let us take comfort in the fact that we are saved. And if we are in the body of Christ, if Christ has saved us, if God has deemed you saved, then praise the Lord, nobody can say otherwise. Aren't you glad of that? Nobody can say otherwise. So with every head bowed and every eye closed... If you're here today and you don't know whether or not you're saved, why don't you come down and make things right today? All you simply have to do is first admit that you're, that you're a sinner in need of salvation. Secondly, believe in Christ and the work that He's done on the cross. The third thing is see to confess your sins before God, receiving Christ as your Savior, and D, to dedicate your life unto Him. A, B, C, D, as simple as that. Simple enough a child can understand, but so complex that it still baffles the minds of the, the highest scholars of our day. So if you're here today and you've never received Christ, why don't you come and receive Him before it's eternally too late? If you're here today, maybe you're struggling with some issues and you want to lay those down at the foot of the cross, we encourage you to do so. Or maybe you'd like to come and join the ministry of Huntsville Baptist Church. Whatever God is saying and doing in your life, we just encourage you to come and answer the Spirit's call. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this series that you've given us on heaven. It's so wonderful to know, Lord, as we've covered several different questions about heaven, we still have so many more questions about heaven that we probably won't be able to answer until we step into those pearly gates. But Lord, the most wonderful truth of all besides the, the, the glory and the glitz and glamour of heaven and all the wondrous things that await us, the most wondrous thing of all is the fact that we can know whether or not we're saved. That we can know whether or not when we pass through these portals of death, that whether or not you have approved us, whether or not you have saved us. And so, Lord, I just ask that if there's anyone here today, maybe they're not sure of their salvation, and they want to make things, things make sure things are right. Maybe they want to come down this morning. Maybe there's someone who's never stepped out on faith and made that leap of faith. Maybe they want to do that today. Whatever's happening, whatever's going on, we can ask, Lord, that you would have your will and your way. expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless and we'll
We'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. Who is God? What is He like? How can we know? The answers you give to these questions will have a tremendous impact on your worship, discipleship, apologetics, and evangelism. Faulty ideas about God are permeating both the church and the culture. It's time to get back to the basics of understanding the existence and nature of the God who is. Marking the 25th year of this annual event, Southern Evangelical Seminary's National Conference on Christian Apologetics returns to Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, with an all-star lineup of some of the finest Christian minds in the world to explore this incredibly important topic. Join us October 12th through 13th, 2018 at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Among the 65 speakers at the event include Ravi Zacharias of RZIM, Josh McDowell of Josh McDowell Ministries, Chip Ingram of Living on the Edge, Gary Habermas of Liberty University, Natasha Crane, Richard Land, and many, many more. Ticket prices before August 1st are $75 for adults, $45 for students. After August 1st, the tickets go up to $85 for adults, $55 for regular price. Save an extra 5% per ticket when you register by May 1st. Group, homeschool, Christian school, and skeptic discounts are available. Call for details by dialing 1-800-77-TRUTH, extension 201. Once again, that's 1-800-77-TRUTH, extension 201. Or go to conference.ses.edu. The 25th anniversary of the National Conference on Christian Apologetics will be October 12th and 13th at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hope to see you there. Some say the best Bible translation is the one that's most literal, word for word, through and through. But there's not always a direct English translation of ancient words. So others say the best Bible translation should favor readability, thought for thought, holding on to the same meaning. But we can all agree that the very best Bible translation is one you trust and one that you want to read. One that stirs your heart and moves you to share its truth. The Christian Standard Bible has been shown to be an optimal blend of accuracy and readability compared to other leading translations. The very best balance, faithfulness to the original text, and clear language that connects to the heart. After all, it's not so much about changing your Bible translation, but about seeing the Bible change your life. Point your heart to true north. The Christian Standard Bible.
The Christian Standard Bible is the official translation of bellatorchristi.com. Go pick up your translation of the CSB today. You're going to change this world for Christ. Don't look around and wonder who it is. Say, God, make it me. Make it me. Because we're training champions. That's a part of the vision. Write the vision, make it plain. We're training champions to change the world. That vision of training champions for Christ to change the world is the foundation of Liberty University. It always has been, and it always will be. Everything we are today is built upon it. But while our vision hasn't changed since 1971, the world around us has. Fewer and fewer people understand what we mean when we say train champions for Christ. So we show them. We show them what authentic faith in Christ looks like through the lens of academics, athletics, through the way we have fun and the way we serve one another and the world. We show them that we the faithful, the bold, the united, and the brave are also we the creators, the innovators, the entrepreneurs, and the leaders. We the champions are committed to tackling the issues of our time with integrity and prayer. Our vision hasn't changed. It is strengthened, broadened, expanded. It has grown into over 550 programs of study, reaching into over 80 countries, uniting over 100,000 students into a beautifully diverse family with a singular vision. We the champions, in order to affirm our tradition of unwavering faith, ignite a passion for wisdom, challenge perspectives, inspire creativity, and pursue knowledge. Do resolve to be the voice for the voiceless, bring healing to the hurting, fight for the oppressed, defend freedom, defy stereotypes, and follow God's calling wherever it may be. Find out more about Liberty University by visiting liberty.edu.